Audible Scripts presents. In the 19th century, New Brunswick, Canada. Where'd you think you're going, Mick? During a time when Catholics were shunned and struggled to survive, Alice, abused and corrupted by her father's bigotry, weaves a web of deceit that eventually affects the whole town. You're nothing but a Mick Jezebel. To achieve her ultimate goal of independence from her father, the town pastor, she must stoop to unthinkable depths even she can't fathom. I have nowhere else to go unless you help me. Believing the hand of God is guiding her way and unaware of the events that are spiraling out of control, she is led down a path of no return, hoping in the end, the man she secretly loves will be at her side. I'm still very fond of you. Unbeknownst to Alice, he is battling his own demons, not the least of which is choosing between the woman he is obligated to take care of and the one he secretly loves, neither of which is Alice. Divine Intervention by Deborah Swan, narrated by Don Harvey. Fall, 1865, Kingstown, New Brunswick, Canada, night. Small homes and various businesses dot the landscape. A fresh coat of snow covers all that the eye can see. Dunsmore Kitchen. A hand sprinkles powder from a blue bottle into a sugar bowl. It stirs a cup of tea that sits on an oak sideboard. Alice, twenty, hair in a tight bun, dressed in a gray woolen dress buttoned high on the neck, carries the cup of tea to her father, Reverend Dunsmore, fifties, in drab black with white collar, who sits at a small wooden table. The room is stark of other furniture. Your tea, father. He ignores her. As she puts on her coat, Alice watches her father raise the tea to his lips. I'll get more tea tomorrow. She pauses but gets no response. He stares at her silently as she exits the room. Saken Cabin, Night. Flax straw in various stages of being brushed into thread hangs on the log walls of the one-room cabin. A cast-iron pot bubbles over the fire that burns in a hearth. A weaving loom and large baskets of flax thread sit in a corner. Seamus, Pappy, Saken, Forties, an Irish Catholic farmer, dressed in tattered farm clothes with long hair tied in a loose ponytail, frantically rifles through cupboard drawers. May, eighteen, with raven hair and blue eyes, dressed in a dull work dress layered in dark cardigans, restuffs the straw bed that sits in a corner of the room. Her hair is filled with straw fragments. May, where's the salve? Mom needs it for Sadie. Quick, girl, help me find it. Pappy, it's right before your eyes. I say, you can be blind as a newborn kitten sometimes. Pappy moves some articles around and finds the jar of salve. Sadie's gotten into the black cherry leaves. Only the mischief fairies know how she be reaching them. Pappy moves towards the door and looks around for his boots. She's festering a foul mood and near tore a hole in her shin before collapsing. Tear me a rag, girl, so I can wrap her up. May finds a clean cloth near a wash bin beside the bed. She tears it into two pieces, hands both pieces to her father. Ma'am sparked into a roaring fire at me for not cutting that blimey tree down. I needs to get to that thing first thing tomorrow. When your brother shows up, get him on sharpening the wood saw. May rolls her eyes at her father and crosses her arms in front of her chest. My word, you've not done that yet. Those leaves are poisonous and can kill a horse if left to it. Pappy waves May's concerns off with a quick flutter of his dirt-stained hands. 
He gives her a quick wink and grin as he puts on his boots. Darling, you're not only as pretty as your ma'am, you're as quick to fire as well. I'd hope Donnie sweeping the leaves under the fence would be keeping her safe till I be getting to the sawn. Mind the stew and eat your fill when you care to. Ma'am and I'll be the better part of the night, methinks, getting Sadie settled. She's ailing badly. Donnie, twelve, red-headed with freckles, dressed in a cloth coat too big for him and buckskin boots, with a large wool scarf tied around his ears and wool socks over his hands, rushes through the door. He struggles to close it behind him as the strong wind howls. Snow blows through as he leans his whole body against the door to get it shut. The storm's coming strong. I near couldn't find my path home. He proudly pulls a snare line with a dead rabbit attached from under his coat and holds it high to show his father, then May. I snared a nice fat rabbit, big enough for roasting, not a small stewer like the last ones. Ah, the fairies are blessing you, boy. Now mind your sis while I help Mam tend to Sadie. Pappy turns to May as he buttons his coat. Keep the stew warm for Mam and me's breakfast. Pappy heads out the door. Donnie spots his father's wool hat on the table and grabs it. Pappy, you'll be needing your wools. Donnie opens the front door. Pappy! May pulls Donnie back into the house. They lean hard with their backs to the door to get it closed. Snow blows in and the wind howls. The door closes with a thud and Donnie latches it with a hard tug. Outside. Swirls of wet snow blow around Pappy as he treads against the wind. His long hair comes untied and covers his eyes. He doesn't see a patch of ice in the pathway. As he brushes the hair from his face, his foot slides on the ice and he loses his balance, hits his head hard on the frozen ground. He struggles to get up, slowly pulls himself to his feet. He looks around, disoriented, a large gash across his forehead. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Audible Scripts Behind the Scenes Interview. I'm your host, Deborah Mark. My first question is for Deborah. As a screenwriter, how did you come up with the idea for the characters and the plot? Well, the story really came from uh, two places, actually. I moved to New Brunswick about three years ago, which is the uh, province in Canada my mother is from. And um, when I moved here, I had visited a, uh, a, a, an Acadian village, which was uh, a tourist attraction now. And part of the village, um, there, was, uh, there was a cabin that was set back away from the village, uh, quite far from the St. John River, which was the water source. And as we were touring... Um, we were told that there, it had been a cabin belonging to an uh, Irish Catholic farming family. And the reason it was built so far away was because they weren't allowed to build near the river because that was prime real estate at the time and Irish Catholics were not allowed to build there. So that kind of stuck with me and reminded me of a story my mother had told me once, which was that... Um, when she was going to school, she's 80 years old now, but when she was going to school, the Catholic children walked to school on one side of the road and the Protestant children walked to school on the other and they never mixed and they never played together. And that struck me as being um, a really good route for a story. So I sort of, that's sort of where the story started from and, and it grew out of that. And why did you decide to partner with Audible Scripts to produce it as an audiobook? 
Well, actually, they chose me. I um, had uh, had some interactions with Will on Trigger Street, uh, where we're both members, and he had read my script as part of that uh, community and um, quite liked it. And as a result of his feedback and other members, it, it did quite well on the site. So um, after Will had exhausted his own scripts he had approached me and asked if I would be interested in having them produce mine as part of their part of their um, company and I thought it was a very cutting-edge idea that they had and uh, was quite willing to partner and be part of the groundbreaking groundbreaking that they're doing with this and I thought it was pretty uh, a really exciting way to get my work out there and um, at the same time help somebody else. And so it really is a win-win for both of us, I think, that um, we're able to do this together. So and, and another piece to that would be that, um, you know, it, it's difficult to get your work out there and to get people to read it and notice it. And this is another forum and another avenue, really, for new writers or uh, uh you know, fledging writers, I guess, to to have their work um, produced and and have a a, div, a unique exposure that wouldn't typically happen for them. So, you know, the more people that read or hear our work, the the better off we are as writers. And so, again, it's another venue for me, and um, it's another um, it's another piece of work for for Will as he uh, as he moves his company forward. What were some of the challenges that you faced writing the script? Um, I guess there were a few things. One of them is time, and and uh, you know I don't I, I don't have the advantage or the luxury of being able to just sit down and write the story all in one shot or you know within a few days or a week like uh, many writers have. Um, I've got other things on the go and other things on my plate that I need to um, that often take my attention away from my writing. So, um, so time is a big factor. Um, and I'm a slow writer. I really, um, I'm quite methodical about it. And so when I do have a chance to sit down, I don't get as much done as maybe, you know, somebody else might. So it took me probably uh, 12 to 18 months actually to, um, to get divine intervention written and, and posted actually on the site for input. So that, that's one of the pieces for me is I'm a slow writer and I don't have a lot of time to sit down and do it. The other challenge for me is that I become really attached to the characters. And so I hate to see them get into trouble or to have barriers put up. And, you know, it's a challenge to do that because um, if I don't, then the story becomes quite boring. And so I have to really detach myself from the characters so that I can um, put enough twists and plots in the story that makes it interesting and keeps people um, interested in the story and, you know, wanting to 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 move on with it and uh, get engaged in it, I guess. And so that's another piece for me is actually writing so the characters have um, challenges that they, and obstacles that they need to deal with. My next question is for Ray who is the assistant director of Divine Intervention. Ray, you have acted in and even narrated other audio productions before. So why did you want to work behind the microphone this time? Well, um, I thought it was a, well, I've, I've always thought Audible Scripts is a really, really neat idea. So I, I kind of threw out even at the, the first production that we did that, hey, Will, if there's anything you need, let me know. And uh, he came back with, um, 
you know what? I need somebody to help me out. And um, he uh, wanted somebody to help kind of shoulder the load of scheduling and stuff like that. And I said, well, I got the time, so why not? And uh, that's pretty much uh, how it happened. What was your favorite experience working on Divine Intervention? Um, my favorite experience, I think, is uh, has been uh, dealing with uh, with all the all the cast members um, and uh, their different personalities and, and their different takes on the on the, on the characters. Because uh, in you know working on the other scripts, I, I really kind of worked in a vacuum. I may have worked with one or two other actors, but here I got to really interact with everybody, and uh, and that was a, a really great part of the project. What were some of the challenges, and do you prefer acting or directing? Uh, the challenges are trying to make sure um, everybody can be scheduled and, and try to make sure, because of how we, how we do the Audible scripts, and try to get people together so that they can feed off each other uh, as actors. Um, the challenge is, is really to be able to make sure you can get as many people in the scene as possible so that it, it can feel organic. I... Uh, <laughs> I prefer acting because it's a lot less responsibility, but I'm kind of digging um, being able to, to help mold um, the project um, from the, the behind the scenes kind of kind of feel. So uh, it's kind of a 50-50 for me. All right. Thanks, Ray. All right. So now let's turn to Fran, who plays Alice. What was it about this role that made you want to audition for it? Well, the uh, audition opportunity was forwarded to me um, from a producer friend of mine, and it seemed like it would be a challenging and uh, interesting project. And Alice seemed uh, is a pretty interesting character, so uh, I, I kind of just wanted a challenge. It's different than uh, than most of the work that I get to do. What was your most memorable scene? I would say the scene when the Reverend reveals to Alice that he has learned of the letters she had been sending. All right, so why did you become an actor in the first place? Well, I started doing voiceover work about 10 years ago. I love the variety of work I get to do, the different ways you can express an idea with just your voice. And plus, it's a really fun way to make a living. So <laughs> wouldn't rather right, be, I wouldn't be, rather be doing anything else, I don't think. <laughs> I can understand that. Chris, you play Simon. What was your most challenging scene? Uh, the most challenging scene? Hmm. It might have been when he revealed to the Reverend that he had taken, who was it, Violet with him to his friend's funeral because he needed to be angry but still hold himself back a bit. He needed to be disgusted with the reverend, but still proper enough because there were women around. So that was difficult to, to kind of have wear both hats at the same time? Yeah, you just kind of had to hold yourself back from showing what you really felt. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Why did you become an actor? Um, it's been a borderline obsession of mine, voice acting, since I was really young. I enjoy going to conventions quite a bit, and I remember sitting in on a Rugrats one when I was little, and Kath Susie, the voice of Phil and Lil DeVille, and Betty and a bunch of other people, was talking to herself, and I was like, my god, that's a cartoon voice coming out of a real person. I want to do that. And I just love the way that they can add emotion to their voice, react to things that are happening around them, when really they're just sort of secluded alone in a dark room. Cut off from sunlight, people, and reason. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's a good answer. My next question is for Natasha, who plays May. Natasha is our first underaged actress who was at first very skeptical about Audible scripts. Why is that? And how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? No, um, I don't mind. I'm 17 years old. Um, and I, I was mainly worried about sort of the process sort of after the audition, uh, mainly because I, I've never been in anything like this. So I kind of wasn't sure how to approach it. So I was kind of um, bothering and with lots of questions. But after a while, it, it felt fine. So why did you audition for Divine Intervention? Well, I, I saw the um, the casting call on Behind the Voice Actors and it, it just seemed quite different from what I've done in the past and it I, I just really felt like I, I wanted to audition and well one of the other reasons was because I thought it was set in Yorkshire but it turned out it wasn't but there, there were British characters in it and obviously that appealed to me. So what part of producing this audiobook stands out in your mind? It's been um it's been fun which is the main part of it and it, it's been, I've, I've really enjoyed sort of doing it live because I've never really done voice acting live before. And it, it's felt really different from, you know, just pre-recording it and sending it off. Yeah, it's much different when you're doing live than being able to do multiple takes and editing and, and all that. All right, thank you. And last but not least is Scott, who plays Reverend Dunsmore. So what excited you about this role? Um, well, you know, when you first get these things, you don't really, I mean, I think I got it forwarded to me from, um, a gal that I know here, Debbie Harada, who is the voice of our local PBS station. And she thought of me. And so I looked it over and, uh, at the different characters and what was they were looking for. And the Reverend Dunsmore appealed to me because I could see that it was a character part. And, um, it, he was, you know, he's basically the, the villain of the piece. And what always intrigues me about any villain of any piece is to find the humanity in them and not portray them as a sort of a stock archetype character, but try and find the humanity in him, you know, so that you have some empathy for them. And that's what intrigued me. And the the whole setting too, the whole historical setting, the the whole thing about his being prejudiced against Irish people, you know that first line, you know the Mick lover, that really appealed to me because you know my last name's O'Neill, so I was like, this is a part of history that I don't think gets a lot of play. You don't hear a lot about the Irish oppression, but boy, it was quite rampant, and I I think um, her the author bringing this to light is uh is much needed i think it's every actress challenge to love themselves love the character they're playing or at least have some empathy about the character they're playing and after we had discussions about the history and the discussions that we did with the script analysis um i i saw some things that you know he was probably really um brought up by a very, very stern patriarch. And the whole church itself was very patriarchal. And 
um, he probably looked to the church for guidance because he really wasn't getting it from his family unit of any kind. Um, so just to see how he was oppressed, you know, how he must have been oppressed by his family and by the church who he was looking to for a way out of, of his family's oppression. Of course, he had a twisted viewpoint of the church and it, and it probably has to do with the abuse that was probably incurred upon him, which he later inflicts upon, um, Alice and, uh, others. So, yeah, just to try to find the humanity in him and the em and the empathy for him rather than play it as a stock villain, you know, kind of over-the-top thing. Plus, he's being victimized by Alice, who he victimized, but, uh, you know, she's no, she's no um, little Mary Sunshine either. Scott, I understand that in addition to Reverend Dunsmore, you can perform several convincing character voices. Can you let us hear a few of them? Okay, well, I did an audio book about a NASCAR-loving guy in, uh, he was in, in South Carolina, and I did the whole book that way with an excellent actress by the name of Don Harvey playing my um, paramour, and that was a lot of fun. And I just got done doing a book that involves um, mobsters and special needs kids. And so I had to do a mobster, big, you know, kingpin who uh, was the boss and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then I had to do special needs kids, but not sound like, you know, you're, you know, and offend anybody or go through that, you know, that real politically incorrect sound and just do a kid that was kind of challenged by speech but not you know anything too too um stereotypical and i i know how to do british as well i've done several british accents i don't know if i could do a whole book that way but i certainly try um How's that sound? And, he, and I've also done Southern Women. And, I, you know, I did this one book that were these these two bitches, Southern women, that were bitching about their husbands over ass tea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about Divine Intervention. Really appreciate all you guys being here today. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Audible Scripts Behind the Scenes interview. I'm Deborah Mark, and thanks for joining us. And remember to ask all your friends, have you heard any good movies lately? Behind the Scenes Interview, produced by Deborah Mark. Original music by Ben Sullivan, available on iTunes.